Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number three. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. All right, automotive enthusiasts, I'm very excited to introduce my special guest today, David Bull. David, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am, Mark. Thanks very much for inviting me on the podcast. Great to have you here. David is president of David Bull Publishing, a Phoenix-based company specializing in motorsport titles. The company's books range from race histories such as the Sebring 12 Hours, the Daytona 24 Hours, and F1 at Watkins Glen, authorized biographies of top drivers like Mario Andretti, Vic Elfert, and Mark Donahue, and official publications with Ferrari, Porsche, Honda, Suzuki, and Ducati. David's books have won many awards and are internationally respected for their rigorous editorial standards and beautifully illustrated designs. David graduated with honors from the University of Massachusetts. He's a Massachusetts native and lived in Harvard Square in Cambridge and then moved to Phoenix where he's been since 1996. So David, I've told our listeners a little bit about you. So take a moment and share a little more about yourself, your business, your interests, and your passion for automobiles. Wow. Well, my passion, I think, started on my sixth birthday, where I received probably the two greatest gifts, certainly up to that point. One could almost say, in terms of their impact, among the greatest ever. I got from my mother the album Meet the Beatles, and I got from a friend of ours, Ravel Jaguar XKE model, that gave you the opportunity of building either the Roadster or the Coupe. I had that very same model. (laughs) (laughs) And that really, I think there's something fairly natural about children, especially young boys, finding themselves interested in cars and kind of tracking the differences. I used to pride myself on being able to recognize the taillights when we would be driving back from Woods Hole when we would go down to the vineyard to visit family and there would be um, non-stop taillights on uh, the ride home and I was quite good at memorizing and IDing what cars they were back in the day when head taillights were really quite distinctive. Anyway, that's kind of the beginning of it all and it never really went away. I guess during college, it got ramped up again, you know, reading Road and Track, you know, getting caught up that way, having friends with cars, whipping around with them. When I got out of school and had been out for a about a year, I found in Rodent Track an article, I mean, an advertisement for an Alfetta Turbo Delta, which was a car built by Alfa Romeo for Group 5 rally racing. And this was the homologation special. The guy claimed that it was the only one in the country. And I thought to myself, yeah, right. But I had owned two Alfettas previously and was well connected thanks to the Alpha Club in Massachusetts, which was quite strong. And I had connections. I knew Don Black, who was kind of manning the ship, you know, what was left of Alfa Romeo. And they were still kind of flirting with the idea of the Milano at that point. There was still some activity with the idea, perhaps, of 
more coming. That's why Alpha was still operational at the time. Don was extraordinarily helpful, and he did a bunch of research and said, you know, I think that guy may be right. I think this is the only one. I've never seen one since. Unhappily, the car was stolen out of the barn that I had it stored in. Oh, no. I left the keys in the ignition, and the weekend before had been at Lime Rock for a track day, and I think the temptation was just too great for the kids who were visiting for a party, and they made it about a mile down the street, uh, failed to negotiate a left-hand turn, and plowed into a foam pole. Oh, no. They rode one of the guide wires straight up. You know, no matter what it is, whether it's a Porsche, a Ferrari, an MG, an Alfa Romeo, once one starts getting interested in the mark itself, you get kind of pulled in. Moving a little bit more forward, I'm interested in how you got involved in publishing with the business that you're in now. Obviously, your love and passion for cars started way back when, but what pulled you into publishing? What brought you into that world? Yeah, it's kind of a funny story and one that on underlines, I think, how random events or pure chance can wind up having an enormous influence in our lives. In this case, I was with my girlfriend in Harvard Square getting money out of an ATM with my Turbo Delta. It was in front of an office building, and I ran into an old friend of mine, Michael Bentley, who I'd gone to school with from, I guess, seventh grade through eighth or ninth grade. We had been very close friends during school, lost touch around college, and it was something to reconnect with him. And when I found out what he was doing, I said, geez, Mike, you ought to hire me. I'll sell books for you. I had been working exactly one year in the air freight industry, and um, I hated that job. Was really interested in uh, making a change, and it got to the point where after doing a full year there, I finally said the heck with it. This is interfering with my ability to make a career change. I'm just quitting altogether. So I had. And this was Bentley of the famous Bentley Publishing Company. That it was, so many of yeah, us know. indeed. Okay, yeah, awesome. point, it, Robert Bentley, and Robert was Michael's father. Okay. We were all incredibly young. Michael had been pulled out of U Chicago uh, to run the company. He was about 20, I want to say 22 at the time. I guess we were about 24 or 5 when we reconnected. And it was one of those funny things, Mark, where everybody was within hailing distance except for one woman. About, you know, 30 to 35. Nobody was older than, except this one woman, and the mean age seemed to be about late 20s, early 30s. I was there working in among the editors who would produce the service manuals, and that was what the company specialized in was service manuals for Volkswagen, Audi, and British Leyland cars uh, that were factory manuals, and then high-quality non-factory manuals for everything from Toyota to BMW. I did a lot of calls to dealerships and to the automotive aftermarket. Part of a group feeling that uh, was fantastic because it gave me a lot of confidence as a salesperson because I was sitting right next to the guys who made the books. So if I had a question, I could ask and get an immediate answer, emphasizing the amount of work, care, and detail 
that went into the books that separated the Bentley publications. So I would assume then those years were incredibly informative for you as you move forward. And where I want to go here is take you up into when you started your publishing company and what happened, what pushed you to get you to do that, to make that move, to get into the entrepreneurship of publishing, uh, maybe... Obviously, there was a history there of learning and being around the publishing business, but what pushed you into that? Well, it's an interesting uh, and gradual process. I had a terrific amount of energy in terms of coming up with book ideas, and the company started out as the precursor to Motor Books International. Robert Bentley did a terrific business importing motoring books from the UK. Tom Worth, who started Motor Books, was one of Bentley's biggest customers for a while, but it was Bentley that dwarfed motor books rather than the other way around. And gradually, Mr. Bentley shifted the emphasis of the company into the Volkswagen and Audi factory service manuals, which I think was quite lucrative and contract-based largely, as well as having books that could be sold on the open market. From a pure margin standpoint, I think he found that a bit refreshing after fooling around with books that were imported that um, one hoped to find an enthusiast market for, but you didn't have a ready market of both dealerships and the independent repair shops. So I kept suggesting ideas. Some of those were taken up. Others weren't. As this was going on, I got better and better at doing the sales work. I had been hired on as a part-time sales guy, and Michael said, get hired by the VP of sales and marketing. Ultimately, he did not get the work done that Michael wanted done, which at that point was principally breaking into the book trade, which in those days was Walden Books, Barnes & Noble, B. Dalton, and Borders had only a handful of stores. And of course, Borders started the whole superstore concept, but it was really Walden Books back then and Barnes & Noble that were the big deal. In this case, my youth really worked for me because previously the company had a run-in with Walden Books and an extraordinary number of returns. And we tried to get our best books in there. They agreed. You know, I was able to persuade them and I got going with Barnes & Noble as well, which gave me the entree to the Ingram Book Company, which I'd been trying to persuade to pick up our books for a long time. I got Barnes & Noble involved and then got a call from the woman at BNN who said, David, I've got a wonderful surprise for you. One of our customers is interested in picking up your books and we would like to, to buy them in order to supply them. And I, of course, knew perfectly well who she was talking about because I was the one who went down and persuaded the guys in New York to sell the books. I wound up replacing the fellow who had actually hired me, this VP of sales and marketing, So I moved up to become VP of sales and marketing, as well as driving the the specialist, or rather specialty, I should say, automotive books, coming up with the types of books, similar ideas to what I do now, but with Bentley having its background in technical books, the emphasis really was on technical books, and there was not a tremendous interest in doing non-technical books. And I also wanted to do color books. All the Bentley books were black and white. So those were the two driving forces that 
made me consider starting out on my own and that's what led me to do it. At the end of the day, it really comes down to, I mean, it's crazy. It's such a cliche, but just holding your nose and jumping. And when you're doing something, I mean, all of us, I think, have a sense for what that feeling of changing jobs is like or really leaving a job and beginning something that's new and fraught with risk but lots of excitement at the same time it's uh exciting but kind of nerve-wracking well i can uh I can relate to that 100% with this new venture with cars. Yeah, as you can attest after working at a company for 20 years. And so, but you're right. Sometimes you have to just hold your nose and and jump. And it sounds like in your case, you were at at a great company, but they just weren't producing the kind of things that you saw could be produced. So you held your nose and and thus uh, David Bowe Publishing was born. Yeah, and we had had a lot of great luck. The first book I published was on the Sebring 12-hour races. That book was very well received, won a bunch of awards. The British magazines named it the Book of the Month. And shortly after that, I published the first of many biographies that I would go on to publish. This one was on Mark Martin, the NASCAR driver. And this was back in 96 when the book came out. Mark at that point had been a runner-up two, and it may have been three times behind Earnhardt in the Winston Cup Championship. I knew Mark a little bit because I had him write the forward to a driving book that we did at Bentley. I had really, Mark's his own story, very, very interesting guy. Once you got to know him. I had, that was a great project. I worked very closely with him and with his father, Julian, in Arkansas. I spent a couple of days with Julian and they were in Searcy, Arkansas. And here I am, this East Coast kid. I couldn't find Searcy on a map. (laughs) I was mortified. And I had to go out there and uh, uh, spend time with Julian, but it turned out to be absolutely crucial to getting uh, the book done. And I think it really set my mind um, at uh, the right level for doing these types of biographies going forward, where you really get to know the subject of the biography quite well. And to do a good job with it, it's almost as though you have a doctor-patient relationship where almost any question, provided it's germane, appropriate, and of course, answered in a polite way, you know, any of those, as a doctor kind of asks you um, things that nobody else would ask you, so too would I, producing these biographies, doing the research, because it makes the difficult parts, everybody has difficult parts to their lives, um, whether they're people like us or people in the stratosphere of top-line drivers. And I think that it makes it much easier to relate to the drivers as people if you get a sense for what they perceive as some of their weaknesses or missteps as well as their strengths. Everybody expects to hear great things about somebody in their biography, but I think it's very important to um, illuminate some of the troubles that they've had to make them seem much more real and much more laudable or a greater role model, honestly. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. And and we're going to get to that 
that point with you in a second here. I have a, a question for you, something that we that I like to ask people is a success quote or a mantra that is important in your life. And I wondered if you could share that with our listeners. That's a hard question to answer. And you would think I would have something brilliant and derived from some of the wonderful people that I've worked with, like Mario Andretti, Vic Elford, Bobby Rahal, Mark, Rusty Wallace, Junior Johnson, any of these guys, you know, they're epigrammatic and eminently quotable. But the quote that kind of stuck with me the most came from a guy who I trained with back in Cambridge. And at that point, I was really quite fit. And my friend Dan, who was about eight years older, said, without any regard for the people who were working out around us in the Nautilus room, stood back with a sweeping gesture with his arm and said to me, look at these people, David. You can learn as much from a bad example as you can from a good one. And his point was looking at the form people were using and he was right. Most people weren't doing things quite the way Dan would have. I've kind of taken that. That's always kind of driven me to do my best to excel and at the same time look for opportunities to do things better, learn from what I perceive to be other books, shortcomings, things left undone that I would have done differently. That's great. And you, you really answered my next question was, that was how did you incorporate that into your life? And using his example, that's exactly what you did. Looked around. It's some, somewhat like when you left Bentley. You saw the great things they were doing, but you saw some things that were missing out. And that's what you incorporated into your business venture. So that's great. David, this next part, we're going to get under the hood a little bit, maybe get our hands a little dirty. And this is where I'd like to ask you about a huge challenge you've had in your life and what that was and what you've done to push through that and to overcome the situation. Well, up until recently, I would say it had to do with rebuilding the head on uh, my alpha and basically doing it on my own. It's heavy work and retiming the cams, which were on uh, sprockets that were uh, drilled and you could adjust the cams for whatever kind of timing you wanted. And there's the recommended. And um, uh, I figured if a little overlap was good, I'd try lots of overlap and see how that ran. <laughs> and the answer was not well. Not well. <laughs> so I returned to the original settings. But that was at once extremely difficult and um, extraordinary in that I, I think probably everybody who's had a lot of experience working on cars finds how time just shoots past where you can lose four or five hours in a heartbeat. It goes by without you really noticing it. Unhappily, a couple of years ago, riding back from the MotoGP race at Laguna Seca on what's essentially a little traveled back road, Highway 58, I got hit by a truck on the motorcycle and that very nearly killed me. You know, the internal damage is a little too gruesome to go into, but my uncle who's a surgeon in uh, Connecticut looked at my x-rays with a radiologist friend of his and they both agreed they'd never seen this kind of damage on anyone who had survived, only on cadavers. David, I remember when that accident happened because I was with you at Laguna Seca and hearing about that and you were in the hospital for how many months? It was between eight and nine. And right. The amazing thing, Mark, is 
I had never spent one day in the hospital. You know, I'd broken a collarbone. I'd had a couple of uh, emergency room visits in addition to that, but never, ever been hospitalized. This is at age 50 at that point. It was quite shocking to be, you know, in the same place for such a long time and inside to roll outside. A friend here, Harley Cluxton, visited and he and his wife took me outside to feel the strength of the sun and the radiation that it carries was extraordinary. It's kind of weird what you forget. But anyway, that definitely is uh, the biggest challenge I've faced far and away. I've had work stuff that's kind of come close in certain aspects, but being stuck in a wheelchair rendered a paraplegic. What I think a lot of people don't realize is that not being able to walk is just the tip of the iceberg for paraplegics. Your spine gets wrecked up, and it's a little bit like damaging a hard drive on the computer where you might have... Um, um, the computer still works, but you have problems with it on a random basis. So you, you're never sure when they're going to crop up. The thing basically works, but it's permanently damaged. I hope one day to be able to walk and, of course, drive again, you know, with vigor. Absolutely. And David, you know, I, I've known David a long time. And since his accident, he's always downplayed the severity of what he's been through. And I really want to thank you for sharing that personal story with people, because um, as I've known you and as you've come out of this just horrible accident, kind of a phoenix coming up out of the fire in a sense, and is been a tremendous uh, inspiration, I think, for your friends and for myself to see you do that. And you always downplayed this. Uh, if you talk to David and you didn't know him, you would never know this talking to him. He's always vivacious and alive and has a wonderful family. But I appreciate you sharing that because I know it's been a massive challenge and uh, we all can't wait for you to, to stand up and walk again and more importantly, drive again uh, one day. Thank you. And uh, get back in one of those alphas. Let's move to another part of the discussion here. I wanted to know, is there a car that you've owned in your past, speaking of seller's remorse here, that you really wish you still owned? You know, the funny thing is, Mark, I have owned a total of three Alphas. That's really it. When I came out here, I moved because I met the woman that I would marry out here. Being out here turned out to be much better and much more convenient than I expected, especially with the proximity to the West Coast. It made seeing authors and people in uh, the LA area or the West or the Pacific Northwest far less of a challenge an afternoon's plane ride or an hour plane ride rather than a full day's travel so we um well was there one of those one of those alphas you wish you'd really never gotten rid of well the turbo delta for sure i wish was operational and curious i'd love to um, get it put back to rights i had three motorcycles and got rid of two of sold two of them. And I was left with my Ducati 888, which was a beautiful motorcycle that for me is the Ferrari 288 GTO of motorcycles because it's the last version of the old style bike before the new technology took over altogether. And that was represented by the Ducati 916. And a great friend of mine bought the motorcycle from me. He's in Flagstaff. It's kind of like breaking up with a girlfriend, Mark. <laughs> and she is sitting on a lawn chair in your garage every time you drive in or back out. And it was killing me to see the bike there. I called my friend finally and said, gee, when when would you like to pick it up? While it 
was completely irrational. And even if, you know, someone with a magic wand came and, you know, struck me on the head and I leapt from my wheelchair fully healed, I would never ride again because just tipping over in a parking lot would probably kill me given the internal damage. Nevertheless, I bought back Ducati and I have it. I've owned it since new. And that was my walk into the buyer's remorse experience while having the bike in the garage the whole time and then finally buying it back. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Very happy, even though I realized, you know, it's an irresponsible thing to do. Is there a current project that you're working on right now, a book that you're working on that really has you excited? We're doing a lot of stuff that's quite interesting. At the printer now is a book on Lancia and their seminal engineer, Franco Di Virgilio. It's by a first-time author who's actually a Chicago architect named Jeff Goldberg, who owns a Lancia Aurelia. And the Aurelia is uh, Di Virgilio's kind of crowning achievement. He designed a lot of engines, cars, while he was at Lancia. And he married Johnny Lancia's niece. And so he was in the family. And in this kind of mean way, was continually leapfrogged by people below him who got promoted above him. Because to promote somebody with familial connections like Di Virgilio would be seen as nepotism, basically. So they They were very leery to do that. And I think that must have been a great disappointment to him. But the book is fantastic. It's one of the most technical books we've done besides Ferrari Formula One uh, F1 2000 book. And it also has a tremendous window into the post-war Italian society and what it was like from a social standpoint and also from an engineering standpoint. And the amazing thing about Lancia is that you find out reading this book that the cars were under continual development. You'd think they would get the car designed and done to a very high standard and then dust off their hands and uh, move on to the next project. The Aurelia saw so many improvements that were done on the line. God knows how they managed the spare parts, fulfillment, uh, some of the other things. But that's one book. We're doing a book with the world superbike champion, Troy Bayless who won his championships with Ducati. And Troy's been a wonderful guy to work with. That book's at the printer. We're just about to send a book on champion racing and their Le Mans winning team uh, to the printer. Champion Porsche? Champion Porsche in Pompano Beach, Florida is the largest champion, I mean, the largest Porsche dealer in uh, the world. And then we've got a bunch of stuff that's further off. We're doing a book on Marcello Gandini, who designed most notably the Lamborghini Mura and Countach. We're doing a Lola history with Eric Broadley and the British author John Hickman. Uh, This will be the first complete Lola history. Sounds like you are very busy with many, many projects. And I I just wanted to remind our listeners that you can go to davidbowpublishing.com. And when these books come out, you can find those there. And of course, the complete line of all the books that he's published that are available. And I'll say that I have many of your books in my library, and they're all fabulous. And I'm really looking forward to these new books coming out. In fact, I've already written them down for my Christmas list. (laughs) One of my favorite parts of our talk, and it's called The Last Lap. So we're nearing the end here. What I do is I fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? So David, are you ready to go? I am ready. Okay. What's the best automotive advice you ever received? Wow. 
I think it was Alfa Romeo repair advice from Fred DiMatteo, who was uh, the head of the Alpha Club in Massachusetts. He was helpful in so many areas, but the one I remember best is went to start the car, wouldn't start, couldn't believe it. And I called up Fred naturally, and he said, electrical connections need to be uh, physically secure and electrically sound and clean. So take a piece of steel wool, go out, clean the terminals and the leads, put some Vaseline on them, tighten it back up, and the car should start up. He was absolutely right. (laughs) I would never have believed it. So that's really stuck with me, and it sort of epitomizes the great help that I got over the years. Can you share one of your personal habits that you believe contributes to your success? Always striving to do the best job. Do you have a resource that you could share with our listeners? I use, you know, for me, it's really information at this point. Um, so I spend a lot of spend a lot of time online, everywhere from the New York Times, where Tyler Alexander's book was reviewed uh, last Sunday in the automotive section, uh, his photography book, Claren from the Inside. There's also a great website that's kind of uh, useful for insiders called Motorsport Marketing Research, MMR. And that has everything from reports on car events to where to get seats refinished, restoration resources, etc. Now, this is kind of a funny one, and I ask everybody this, but it'll be unique for you. Could you share a book that you really enjoy with our listeners? That's so hard, Mark. You know, every book that we publish, it's a little bit like asking a parent to name his favorite child. <laughs> of course. Um, that That's difficult, and I think that they're all, in their own way, fantastic. Or if I have to push you hard, I'll say, okay, David, you have five seconds to choose your favorite book published by David Bow Publishing. What is it? Answer now. Mario Andretti, um, Driving Passion. There you go. Okay, I knew you could do it. <laughs> That's That wasn't so hard. We're now at the checkered flag. This last question can be a little challenging for people. To quote a great automotive mark, it's a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, something that you couldn't sell to buy other cars with, what would it be? This for me is very easy. It would be either a Ferrari 250 GTO or uh, a Testarossa. And those cars... If you've ever had the chance to ride in one, which I have, but never driven one unhappily, the cars feel so alive, so enormously responsive. They are exhilarating to be in. And just as a passenger, you can feel what the car's doing, that I can't imagine the extra sensation that one would get holding the steering wheel, operating the pedals and the gear selector. They are amazing. The Testarossa you're referring to, would that be one from the 50s? Absolutely. Like the 250TR? or Indeed. Well, David, you've taken us on a great ride, and I've so enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with us today. Please give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset and let our listeners know what's the best way they can learn more about you and your business and how to get a hold of you. And we'll say goodbye. Thank you very much, Mark. And thank you for having me. It's been great to talk with you. Our website, bullpublishing.com, as you mentioned earlier, that is a great place to see what's current 
and also check out our backlist. And we do uh, a good job of trying to keep current with it. We also have a Facebook page. It would be great if people would check it out, like us, and let us know what you think. One of the things that we've just come out with recently is Porsche's official 50th anniversary 9-11 book. So that's being uh, shown on uh, both the website and the Facebook page with excerpts and things like that. You can also call us. Our 800 number is 831-1758. That's 800 831 1758 and ask us questions. You know, we love talking with people. We're always interested in ideas. And uh, this is a business in which I feel I have everything to learn. I don't take anything for granted. And is there one parting piece of guidance that you could share with our listeners before I let you drive off into the sunset? Gee, Mark, I'm the one who's usually asking that question of other people. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking in your case, it's probably one word, persevere. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, ultimately what it comes down to, no matter what one's area of interest and expertise is. If you're not persevering, um, it's very hard to succeed. I used to joke that it was difficult being, I was dealing with two Ps, publishing and parenthood. And those two Ps were enough to um, have me ready for an evening cocktail when I got home from work. But adding paraplegia as the third P, that really pushed me to my limit. No more cocktails now because of uh, traumatic brain injury, which does not go well with cocktails. But everything else still applies, the striving. And I guess if there's one last thing, and these things sound so trite, so forgive. Being very grateful, you know, stopping and being grateful for what we have, the importance of family. And I think it takes a near-death experience to drive that home in a uh, profound way. I grew up without a father, and uh, I'm very grateful that my children aren't put in the same position. You know, I won't be chasing them up the stairs or uh, running sprints with them. Everything else, I should be there, and I'm very glad of that. That's wonderful. Well, David, Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It's been insightful, fun, and uh, uplifting. And listeners, you can go to the show notes page, type in David Bull, and find all the things we've talked about here. And of course, listen to uh, the interview again if you'd like. David, thank you so much for being with us. Until next time, we'll see you down the road. Great. Thank you again, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!